race is on, and what at one stage looked to be a first victory for George Russell turned into a maiden triumph for Sergio Perez in a remarkable Sakia Grand Prix. And it's a weekend that could have a big impact on the driver market landscape over the next 18 months. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to look back on an amazing weekend are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Well, Mark, first wins are always special to witness, aren't they? We could have had two today. It was one of those days when I guess it's even more of a pleasure than usual to be in this line of work. Yeah, I mean, it was such a thrill. It was sort of um, built up the whole weekend um, as soon as we got news that and George would be replacing Lewis in that car. It's the, the excitement just built and built and built. And every every step he, he made, every sort of bridge that he crossed, you thought, blimey, this really could be something special. And it, it carried carried through all the way into the race. And, and at one stage he had a he had a very handy lead. And it, it, it looked like it, it couldn't really go wrong. And at one stage he was thinking this is too good to be true, and um, yeah, it turned out that it was. But um, if if somebody was going to pick up the pieces, it was nice that it was Checo um, because well, obviously for for all the all the reasons that you, we will we, we've talked about all year really the, the, for for most of the year since um, it's been apparent that the there was no place there for him next year. So um, he's performing at a very high level. He did a stupendous race today. And um, yeah, it was. I'm I'm more I'm delighted for Checo, but I'm more gutted for George than I'm <laughs> delighted for Checo. Yeah, it's going to be remembered for those those two reasons for a very very long time. And Scott, I remember you a few years ago when you were a promising, fresh faced young motorsport journalist, raving about the the quality of the driver who's winning the BRDC F4 Championship that you were covering. So it must have been quite special to see that particular driver doing so well today and it just at least shows that your judgment back then was uh was reasonably on the money yeah it's it's it, it's not a great indicator of my progression as a as a sensible person and good journalist that six years ago was probably my sort of peak in terms of identifying uh identifying f1 worthy talents um it is good because while you always try to be as neutral as possible and don't play favorites there is a little bit of a I do feel I, I do have a little bit of an affinity for, for George because his career's so intertwined with mine. That that was my first full year uh, working as a as a motorsport journalist covering BRDC Formula Four and various other series. And it was George's first year in cars. I got to know him really well that year. Um, I was a, uh, for, from his very first race through to the. The, the the peak moments the climaxes at the, at the end of the year and I've maintained a good relationship with him ever since then so it is it is sometimes a bit weird to think that it's that same driver that sort of say it's that same like 16 year old beanstalk that was so much taller than everyone else he was racing with in f4 but just had that little just had something extra about him and you just thought I think I think this kid's special but you've got no idea how far they're going to go. And I think we've had the absolute ultimate vindication this weekend with a stunning stand-in performance at Mercedes that that George Russell can go to some pretty special places if he's given the right opportunities. Yeah, it was absolutely, regardless of the fact that the the result on paper isn't anything special, the performance is what matters and that will live long in the memory. But so much to talk about. We're going to start off, Mark, with Sergio Perez 
the man of the hour, a Grand Prix winner at the 190th attempt. That's longer than anyone else has taken. He's worked long and hard for this, hasn't he? And he just thoroughly deserves that victory. Yeah, true. I remember when he came in as a, a Ferrari junior driver in the Sauber team, and he was pulling off some pretty special performances then. Um, he, even, even, even way back then, one of the key distinguishing features of his performances was how good he was with the tyres. And he would um, he would pull off unlikely stint lengths, and that stayed with him throughout. I mean, it was you know just um, a, a cornerstone to his success today as well, because he was effectively on a well, effectively a, a, a one-stop strategy, wasn't he? That was he stopped twice, but once was on the first lap to put a new set on after he'd um, flat spotted it through being spun out. So yeah, um, he has been. Delivering very, very high-caliber race performances, probably since his post-McLaren days. Um, that that McLaren season, it didn't really click for him in 2013. Um, but ever since then, even though the, he's been at lesser teams uh, th- than that, um, he's really, really been consistently excellent on race day. Not the fastest qualifier in the world, but consistently excellent on race day. And... Um, yeah, you just felt that if ever a, um, an opportunity fell into his grasp, he, he would absolutely nail it. I didn't have any doubt about that. It was just whether that opportunity was ever going to come. Yeah, well, he, he absolutely seized it, and there was just no no concern was there. And and, and the, that point you make about right from the start, everyone always forgets that he actually finished seventh on the road on his Grand Prix debut in that Australian Grand Prix. I think he may have been the only driver who won stop that day before the Sabres were excluded for a an infringement uh, on the on the rear wing but it's always been there that uh, that quality and obviously the big talking point with Perez is the fact that he doesn't have a drive for next year currently so Scott this is just absolutely the time he needs this doesn't it because the Red Bull vacancy is still there they're trying to do everything they possibly can not to take an alternative to Alex Albon but when you look at Perez winning and this is a race where the three drivers Albon needed to be either gone from the race or or hobbled in the race by by problems. There was Albon in sixth place, so de facto ninth place, and nowhere near picking up the pieces, whereas Perez was the man who did it. Yeah, when you were, when you were saying this was the time, I, uh, I thought you were going to go down the route of saying this is the time where you just wind me up and let me loose for a minute or two to, to, to talk about this, because obviously... I didn't think you needed any winding up on this topic. You're uh, you're absolutely on top of it. <laughs> no, that no, that's what I mean. I thought you'd just go right here. We go. This is how we this is how we fill out a good percentage of the podcast. We just get Scott angry and talking about Perez and particularly Albon um, because uh, yeah, yeah, um, liking Perez and noticing Perez's ability as a racing driver is absolutely not a um, uh, a unique or special observation on my part, but just. I've just grown increasingly, increasingly frustrated over the last couple of months um, that he's in the situation that he's in. I think we all felt it was a massive injustice that he was that he is being forced out of Racing Point just as it transitions to Aston Martin because this was supposed to be the big um, break in his career that that he 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 does deserve. But as for 2020, I do believe that Perez has uh, raised his game again. I think he's on the, the the highest level he's ever operated on as, as a driver. And I, I believe there is now no competitive justification for Red Bull not signing Perez and keeping Albon because I really like Alex. I've known him for a long time. 
think he's a, a lovely bloke. And when things align for him, he's also a really fast driver and he's a great racing driver as well. He's pulled off some great moves this year, but it's not working at Red Bull. I don't think it's ever going to work at Red Bull. And when there's a driver of Perez's availability on the market, I just think a team with the competitive desires, the interests and the uh, the ambition that Red Bull has, you can't keep persevering with what you've got in Albon when someone like Perez is available because drivers of Perez's calibre do not become out of contract as, as easily as there's this amazing quality of driver there just waiting to be picked up by Red Bull. I can't believe that that they're still waiting and I think this win has come at such such a good time um, because as you say it's the circumstances around it as well it, this was a race with both Mercedes out of the picture for different reasons Verstappen out on the first lap um, it should have been the second Red Bull winning right like in any other situation the the second driver in the second fastest car should be picking up the pieces and how he's how Albon's allowed not only another driver to take the win instead but the driver who's linked to his seat and a driver who was pitched off on the first lap has been able to win this race when Albon couldn't. It all, it's all rooted in his fundamental pace deficit in qualifying that meant he was... He, it's not even that Albon missed his opportunity to win uh, today. He was nowhere near. He wasn't even in the picture because of how far down he started because of his pace deficit. Yeah, ultimately, we've got no problem with Albon being behind Verstappen. But it's a it's a question of the magnitude, isn't it, and the the trajectory that he's on. Now, Mark, can you make a, a strong case for them for them keeping Albon? We know he's got underlying ability. You know, he's a likable character. We'd like to see him doing well, but it's just getting increasingly hard to build a compelling defence, isn't it? Yeah, I can't build a case. It's um, he's he's not there able to support Verstappen. He's not there able to put undercut pressure on whoever Verstappen is fighting to try and pull them off the back of Verstappen. Um, he's, he's, you know, he didn't even get into Q3 this time. Um, not, nothing's changing. It, it, it's, um, it's not like there's a, it's a direction of progress. It's, it's just stop, start, stop, start. If, if vague hints of promise, then, you know, they're dashed. You know, one race later, there is, there is no pattern. This is just how it is. Yeah. I, I looked at the data after I looked at the, the year's qualifying data after what happened, um, obviously, as, as Mark said, knocked out in Q2. Obviously, it's the first time since um, it would have been, I think, the first Silverstone race that Albon's not made Q3. But the really worrying thing, actually, looking back at his at the, at the qualifying sessions this year in detail, is that the um, the I don't know the best way to, to to put it, but like the the percentage difference between Max and Alex to to the absolute fastest. Alex hasn't made any progress all year. It is he's still around about 0.7 percent uh, further away from the front than than Max is, and it doesn't matter whether the Red Bull's competitive. It doesn't matter if the Red Bulls are sec like a second off one at one track or four tenths off at another track. Whatever the actual lap time is at, at the front, Albon's always 0.7 percent pretty much further away than, than Max, and you could. <laughs> you can park a bus in that gap that that is enormous and that is why he got knocked out of Q2 at, 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 in the Secure Grand Prix qualifying because the gap to, to, to Max was actually pretty much where, where it's been all season the difference was that, uh, on the outer circuit at Bahrain about what was it nine cars managed to to, to fill that gap so it was a it looked utterly terrible but it was actually as mediocre as Alex has been all season to be honest 
you know, his his average his average deficit to Verstappen is actually bigger than um, Nicholas Latifi's to George. Yeah, that says that says a lot, unfortunately, doesn't it? And he's just butting up against the same ceiling of performance, isn't he? It's it's a shame, but he's in one of the best two teams in Formula One, so the stakes are pretty high and the expectations are high. And this is just magnified, isn't it, by how classy Perez is, how dependable he is. He's not absolutely the fastest driver over a single lap on Saturday. Still, still quick though, still effective, just not the absolute quickest. But as we saw, he can just turn in such a good race drive. Now, Mark, if we can just set aside the Mercedes situation for the moment, obviously for Perez to to win, he had to win the midfield fights. So how did he pull that off? Because in fact, I've just got the replay of the, the race. It's just got to that in front of me. He's pointing backwards in the middle of turn four on lap one, and he takes the restart 18th and last, and yet somehow he's managed to to win that midfield battle to be the guy who inherits the win. How did he achieve that? Well, it was obvious he was going to win once he was spun at turn four on lap one, wasn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> now, to take take nothing away from Sergio's performance, which was fantastic, and um, in particular, the crucial passes he, he, he made, in particular on Ocon and uh, Stroll, um, he wasn't in a car that was quick enough to get through a, to Q3 on the medium, so he was obliged to start on the softs, and that was a strategic disadvantage. Sometimes it doesn't make much difference, but today it did. You, you didn't really want to be starting the race on the softs. Um, the racing point is actually very good. Sergio himself is very good with the tyres, as we know, but the racing point has become a very good car on the tyres as, as well. And we saw Lance Stroll do a, a very long very long stint on the softs, far longer than anyone else. But uh, so that one thing is that that lap one spin followed immediately by a safety car meant that he was able to get in, get rid of those softs and be on the mediums. Um, so yes, that, that helped him. Um, he then had to absolutely, you know, not get stuck. He had to, he had to, do the passes. He had to do them quickly, and he had to make it work. Um, but the yeah, the the crucial the crucial passes were those on um, his own teammate Stroll, and that might have been a difficult thing to do had Stroll not made that uh, lockup mistake on his outlap after his pit stop, um, which is what enabled Sergio to go past and subsequently a lap later to do Ocon as well, um, because two cars in the same team, it it, you know, it might have you know me not quite as straightforward to do a, a pass. We saw earlier in the season, they, they came close to touching at Barcelona, I think it was, and the team ended up putting them on different strategies to keep them out of each other's way. So um, the fact that Lance sort of handed that to him made it, made it much simpler and probably saved him several laps trying to work out how to, how to find his way through. So, that, yeah, the, I think they were the, they were the keys. The, the fact that he, he, he was able to get onto a better tyre strategy just as a... Um, a nice, a nice sort of um, side effect, really, of, of of getting punted off uh, on the first lap, and then he, yeah, he, he did the big moves when he had to, and he combined that with his usual fantastic combination of pace and tire usage. Yeah, and even clearing the slower cars effortlessly, almost in the early laps after the restart was important as well, just minimising that time loss. Again, something we don't haven't always seen someone like Alex Albon do this year. He's pulled off some good moves, but sometimes he has had periods when he's got stuck. But Stroll, obviously you mentioned there, 
this was the second race this season that there was a pathway for Lance Stroll to win. He said it himself after the race that he was a little bit disappointed. Third place is still good. But Scott, if you were Lance Stroll, would be, you'd be a little bit disappointed it wasn't you up there celebrating, having made that that mistake with a lockup at, at turn one? Uh, yeah. Um, you, if you're in a position where uh, you're looking at a guy who's finished ahead of you in the race and you've had track position over them at a crucial phase, then... You're only going to be unless they've got a uh, a faster car or some kind of advantage. Um, then you're going to be disappointed to fall behind them, and it was self-inflicted. It was just that there were a couple of moments where it just seemed like, yeah, just I think I don't know. Distracted is not the right word, but Lance just um, just a couple of mistakes. There was that one in battle, which was I think him just getting outraced basically i just don't think he had the composure when he needed it but there was also that really odd bit behind the safety car like behind the uh just before the restart where he just he seemed i don't know what it was but he i think it looked like he thought that they were going <laughs> so he absolutely gunned it and then had to stamp on the brakes to avoid piling into what would have been the back of ocon i suppose um and yeah locked up again there so um yeah i guess at different phases of the race uh, ty- uh stroll's tires can't have been the um the roundest circles to to, to drive on yeah, and perez himself said he had a lock up under the safety car as well so had a few vibrations on that on that set of mediums so that made life uh, a bit more difficult for him but really really well executed and utterly fantastic for that team as well this of course is the old jordan team it was jordan midland spiker force india there was the risk of it going out of business a few years ago. Really high quality group of people there who've achieved a huge amount with less than you would normally need to achieve the huge amount they're achieving. So for them to get this win, and I think also to get it with Perez, the guy who's been there all the way back to 2014, just it's great they get to have this special day before the Aston Martin uh, switch next year, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, that's right. And it's been under so many different guises. It's won, it's won races as uh, Jordan, of course, first of all. But um, yeah, it, 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 is, it is nice. And it's nice that we've got another team winning a race this year. You know, it's, it's, um, in terms of performance, Mercedes have been so dominant. But we've had four, four different teams winning in these uh, 16 races to date. Uh, so as well as Mercedes and Red Bull, we've had Alfa Tari in our racing point. And that, that just seems right because they are the best of the rest you know, in terms of performance. They are clearly the, the third fastest team. And it looks like, um, you know, that, that they, they might... Where, where are they in the constructed? Where does that put them? Does that put them back in third? Yeah, they're back in third. I'm just... Uh, flicking, I think they're 10, ten, I think points, they're ten points clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so ten that... points clear. That, in, you know, the... the the perfor- it's nice when the performance and the results align, and I think that that would be the rightful place for them. Yeah, we've got to remember they lost that 15 points, didn't they, for the illegally designed rear brake ducts. But I think that's probably finished off McLaren's challenge, but there's still one race to go, you never know. But yeah, just just great day for, for that team. And I'm just really pleased to see Sergio Perez getting a win because he's, he's worked so hard at it. All, back, all the way back to the days when he first came over to Europe and he was just a guy who didn't speak the language living in a, a room above a, a pub restaurant and just he, he's he's constantly evolved and constantly improved himself. That season at McLaren could have finished off other drivers and he didn't always cover himself in glory with his approach but he's just got better and better and better and he's still got plenty of years left ahead of him. Just before we move on to the Mercedes situation, we should go back to that first lap incident with Charles Leclerc. Three-place grid penalty for the Abu Dhabi season finale for Leclerc. 
for that. Obviously, clouted Perez. Scott, what did you make of that? I appreciate I've just asked you that question while you're taking a, a, a drink of what I assume is tea. It, you assume correctly. You are a very astute observation. The wonders of uh, Zoom. Um, yeah, it was... Um, well, I, I don't know if that's me slapping my arm in sort of... Uh, well, it was obviously Leclerc's fault has made that onto the um, onto the recording device. We shall see. But yeah, it was a, it was a slam dunk as far as I'm concerned. Um, I don't think Leclerc was wrong to try what he did. I th- you saw the three cars ahead going side by side and he was right not to get properly stuck into it. But then when Verstappen sort of thought better of it and backed out, that was an opportunity for Leclerc to gain a position on the inside. But they knew from the reconnaissance laps that the track was quite dusty and it seemed to be particularly low grip there. Several cars had moments into that corner in, on, on the first lap. Being that far over to the right-hand side, I mean, it's all well and good. Oh, you could argue that maybe Perez didn't leave a huge amount of room at the apex, but Perez wasn't defending from Leclerc, was he? And Leclerc wasn't attacking Perez. Per- uh, <laughs> Leclerc was trying to overtake Verstappen and carried so much speed in that he overtook Verstappen and ended up, well, not quite overtaking Perez, but but hitting him. And then it, it could have ruined Perez's race. Obviously, it didn't really, did it? Perez's race ended up being quite good after that, but it, it, it took Verstappen out uh, on the spot. Although I guess you could argue that maybe Max didn't handle his um, moment off track. He seemed to boot the throttle, I think, which made things a little bit worse. But yeah, Leclerc, I think, was banged to rights. He even admitted if there is anyone to blame in the incident, it's him. I thought he might get away with it because they have a little bit of leniency on the first lap, but I think this was just sort of this was in his control and it was it was avoidable. So I think three places is probably fair. And we should note the third time that's happened with him this year, versions of that on the first lap with Vettel in the Styrian Grand Prix and with Lance Stroll at Sochi. Slightly different but similar if you see what I mean. It's a real shame because Charles Leclerc turned in probably one of the qualifying laps of the season the only reason I I say probably is because Leclerc himself you'd have to sift through his group of extraordinary qualifying laps to decide which was the best of those because he's done this a lot of times so it was just a brilliant Saturday but a horrible Sunday for him wasn't it Mark and just shows that there's still a few little rough edges there for him to iron out yeah and it comes just that race one race after Seb was so vociferous on the radio about how aggressive he was on the first lap and the restarts um he's he's pulling every every little thing there is and, and probably a bit more <laughs> from that ferrari and i don't think he he feels that he can um, turn down any even half half sniff of an opportunity because he's qualifying it above where it should be and so he's he's he knows he's he's probably just in for an afternoon of fading back down to the car's natural level and the longer he can delay that or the, the more opportunities he can take to put you know faster cars behind them for for at least a while uh, that's that's the the route to an overachieving result but um yeah, it comes with high risk um but i guess he's thinking well if it's high risk we it's not it's not as if we're losing a championship is it it's 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 um it, it's just to try and grab some respectability from this um, semi-uncompetitive car that we have. So, yeah, I can I can see where his attitude come from, but it, um, yeah, it, was, it was unsuitable on a, a track that had been made um, very dusty, very slippery by the wind, and um been a few hours since there had been any cars on it. It was several hours after the F2 race, so it was, yeah, it was very slippery 
and it probably wasn't um, the most appropriate attitude to be taken onto the first lap on this occasion. Right, let's move on to the topic of Mercedes. First up, Scott, you've spent lots of this weekend following George Russell extremely closely. Effectively, he won this race twice, didn't he? Once with a straightforward take the lead at the start and dominate strategy. Then he was on course to fight through from fifth place before he got that puncher. Ninth place and fastest lap scant reward, but he couldn't have seized his opportunity better, could he? No, this was mega. Um, Mercedes tried to sort of give him slightly reduced expectations going into this weekend because there was obviously quite a lot of hype around it, especially um, once uh, we got closer to to practice on Friday. So Mercedes told him that basically top five, top six in qualifying and top five in the race would be good. Um, George had privately set himself the target of being within a couple of attempts of Bottas. But from the moment they started in um, Friday practice, it was clear that George wasn't just going to take the easy road. Uh, the easy road to sort of, uh, okay, well, you know, one weekend, maybe I'll get another one next weekend. But all I want to do is not make any mistakes. So I'm just going to build up, build up, build up. He just cracked on with it. And when I say that, I don't mean that from the start of FP1, he was obsessed with um, setting the fastest lap times or anything like this. It just meant that he took the situation really seriously and he he did everything within his power to make that his car as much as he could make it his car, given how late the, the, the decision was for him to drive. And, you know, he was in a, what was he, in a three-year-old seat. He was wearing one size two small race boots. Um, the the clutch uh, paddles aren't molded for, for him, so they were, I think, a bit too small for his fingers. Um, the 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 straps on the, the seat were digging into his shoulders, so it was a physically uncomfortable and not optimised uh, opportunity for him, to be honest, and yet by the time it gets to qualifying, he's, what was he, 200th for second from pole? Um, and then at the start, he absolutely nails the start as best as he can from the dirty side of the grid, gets in front of Bottas, does absolutely everything right through the Grand Prix, including, and I'll probably be waxing lyrical about this in written form uh, for an article on the site in the morning, one of, if not the best overtakes of the year, on Bottas, where after he'd lost track position um, and was running in, in in fifth after the initial pit stop blunder. Um, just that sort of... It's, I loved everything about that overtake because it sort of... It was a couple of corners in the, in the making. He sort of suckered Bottas in, but Bottas went deep. Bottas, de- uh, Bottas then went deep into turn five and George had the opportunity to go around the outside of him through turn six, which really bumpy. And he wasn't, it wasn't like he had such a big run that he sort of steamed past on the outside. He had to properly tough it out on the outside and then get the braking done for the turn seven, eight tight chicane. I honestly thought that was such a brilliant overtake considering what was on the line and what he'd risked losing. If he got that wrong, he'd probably speared right into Bottas and taken both Mercedes out. So it was a properly on the edge pass. And just everything he did, he handled himself with professionalism, maturity, good grace, even though he had that result taken away from him. Um, I I can't I can't honestly think of anything he could have done that would have realistically been been better. Obviously, two hundredths of a second off of pole, you can say, oh, he probably maybe he should have got pole there, but really, on reflection, that is a really phenomenal debut with the team. The important thing is that he just looked utterly at home 
in a big team at the front, even though he had every reason not to look utterly at home. He'd never been in that situation F1 before. While he's familiar with the team, he's not embedded in it. He's up against the driver in Valtteri Bottas, who knows the car and its predecessors absolutely inside out. And what he did on merit to effectively win that race, because that pass on Bottas as well, after the initial setback that Russell had, was really a pass for victory, wasn't it? Because it was inevitable thereafter that he would get through into the lead had he not had that puncture. I felt Russell did have this about him, that ability to absolutely maximise this. And you do see this, don't you, Mark? When there's a driver like this given an opportunity like this, they don't just sort of let themselves off and just sort of drive around and finish a nice solid third, do they? They take those opportunities. And I guess that was no more exemplified than that moment he passed Bottas. Yeah, that's right. We we talked about it um, in the, the, the George Russell piece we did um, pre-weekend. And I think we both agreed that he's, his personality is, is such that he's he's not one of those guys. Some people under the spotlight sort of shrink and he others shine and he's 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 one of the he's one of the latter. And you you just you just felt that if he got the opportunity he would he would absolutely nail it. And yeah, that that that, that was just encapsulated with that pass Valtteri. Just went a little bit wide into turn four and that that was it. That's all he needed. And uh didn't really matter what the that it was a, a marginal move. He, he had the full confidence and the commitment um, to, to pull it off, and it was it was up to Valtteri not to get in the way um, once he you know, committed to it. So yeah, just all round starring performance. Really, it's given it's given Toto Wolff a real headache. Um, and I interestingly, I thought Toto tonight was not that. Um, I thought it would be more emphatic in in saying no, it doesn't change anything. Our lineup is absolute. This he did say those words, um, but he didn't say them in a in a way that sounded like he was convinced about about it. And then um, even George himself added to that uh, later on, saying, "You know, be, it would be nice to to get back into that car, maybe even sooner than 2022." So yeah, I think they do have a little bit of a headache. Um, I think logically, it shouldn't change anything um, for us. As f- you know, for outsiders looking in, for the fans, absolutely, we we want to see George in there. Um, but I think, if from the perspective of the team, um, probably probably not. I think uh, I'd be surprised if it happens earlier than twenty-two. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it has an effect on Valtteri Bottas as well, because he's been very good at picking himself up after being beaten by Lewis Hamilton over these years. But this is just another another beating he's taken. He's a very, very good driver, Bottas, but this wasn't the weekend he needed, was it? So I guess, Scott, the real question is that Mercedes have to ask, it's what's the dyna- dynamic, isn't it? While they've got Hamilton there, Hamilton-Bottas seems to work quite well. But I guess now that Russell has eliminated so many of the hypotheticals that are in the positives column for him, hypothetically he could do, what he did this weekend. Now we know he did what he did this weekend. So he's ticked more boxes. So that does, I guess, create a little bit of a headache, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. And um, I think uh, I think it's validation for a lot of people, including George. You know, George said um, on Sunday evening that, you know, he, he and Williams like to think that they're doing a really good job and, and getting a lot out of their situations. But there's always this nagging feeling where you're like... Oh, if someone else came in and did something slightly differently, 
could they get more out of it? And as he's acknowledged and Toto's acknowledged, well, <laughs> he's just stepped in the fastest car in the grid and gone two hundredths of a second slower than a guy who's been in it all season and has beaten Lewis. What he, what does Valtteri beat Lewis? Like one in every three qualifying sessions. So yeah, like George is getting the most out of that Williams. You can say that with, with certainty. But he's the big thing for me is that he's proven he's taken any uncertainty about whether he can handle the pressure and fit into that environment because that's that that for me is one of those. Um, he joins that sort of elite group of drivers who they get that opportunity and they grab it straight away. You know, like. Um, you know, Lewis's debut in Melbourne in, in 2007 or, or, or Max's opportunity when the Mercs wiped themselves out on his Red Bull debut in Spain in 2016. You get that chance and then all of a sudden you you grab it and, you, and you're, you're not leaving any doubt whatsoever because now, even if George didn't race in Abu Dhabi next weekend, the next time Toto is sitting down and having to think about the drivers, whether it's because he thinks there is a way to get George in the car next year or it's next May and they're thinking about the 2022 lineup you can't that hypothetical about George or oh, but would he be able to cut it in the car that won't be there anymore so there is there's it's he's basically added a couple of really really important pros into the pro column and he's eliminated one or two from the cons column as well so I, I think this has just been tremendous for George's value yeah, it's just a weekend where he's absolutely proved himself. Let's delve a little bit into the detail. Now, the first part of the race was pretty simple. Russell ended up in the lead. Bottas was about two seconds behind. And then coming up towards the pit stop, Russell did manage to just inch out a few more tenths here and there overall as well. So it was all very settled until things start to go wrong. So, Mark, by a quirk of fate, it was actually Russell's stand-in at Williams, Jack Aitken, who inadvertently created the conditions for for Russell to lose the race and Mercedes to have a disaster. So if you take us back to what was it about lap 60 when Russell's leading, Bottas is second, all looks relatively settled for a run to the flag and then Aitken crashes off the last corner. So what goes wrong from that point for Mercedes? Yeah, at first it was just a VSC and then it was um, a full safety car and they decided quite quite a lot earlier in the race that if this happened... Um, they wouldn't just stay with the the one-stop strategy on the old tyres because they felt it would be too vulnerable on a restart. So it was already pre-planned that should there be a safety car during this window, they would stop because I had such a big gap over the third place. They would stop and they would change tyres. Um, and they were able to do that <clears throat> and stack them. But it, it came at such short notice. I mean, basically, uh, George was almost upon the pit entry uh, when when the safety car was thrown, uh, the the instructions went out to the so you have the 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 crew in the garage and the the, the crew in the pit lane. The the crew is in the garage on George's side didn't hear the radio transmission that went out for some reason that's yet to be determined. Um, so only Valtteri's tires were brought out. Um, so George comes in first, and those guys just fit the tires that are there on the assumption that they are George's. George leaves after a fairly routine sort of stop, but then but there aren't any tyres for Valtteri, or they're not a full set. And it's, it then becomes apparent that Valtteri's tyres are already on George's car, hence um, a, a double problem. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of where it went wrong, a, a radio problem. Um, so on, on one side of the garage, and 
yeah, <laughs> just it. The probably probably been done thousands and thousands of times. It, you know, I've used those radios, and in this time, um, just just it was as 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 it was on that cusp, it, it happened that way. So all wasn't lost at that point, as we know. It, um, George still they, they put the corrective stop on when the race was still under the safety car, so didn't lose all that much time. Just put them down to his fifth place behind Valtteri, <clears throat> and Valtteri still had the old tyres on. So he was once he'd once he'd made that move and passed Valtteri, um, and it was it got past uh, Ocon and Stroll, and was closing down on Sergio. Um, piece of debris he picked up was at turn 10 and um, which is almost certainly another piece of Jack Aitken's wing so uh, <laughs> poor old Jack lost George the race twice yeah it's just one of those little quirks isn't it <laughs> of fate uh, nothing not Aitken's fault as such but just uh, just was the, the the cause of it it's one of those things that sometimes you can criticize teams for the decisions they make but both the decision that was made to make that those precautionary pit stops and the nature of the error that happened it just does seem to be one of those things doesn't it just an extraordinary alignment of circumstances that caused it so just the usually well-drilled team it just came undone for them so I guess we can't criticize them too heavily for that but yeah occasionally these days happen I guess even even for for that team but I don't think there's any doubt that Russell would have caught and passed Perez is there um, Sergio th- says he, he was, he's confident he could have kept on behind, but um, I, I'd, <laughs> and Sergio is certainly a very, very difficult man to pass if he decides you don't want to be passed. But yes, I think um, I think George comfortably had the pace to have been able to do it with a bit of DRS help. Yes, I do. I do. Yeah, it seemed fairly uh, fairly inevitable. So that's how uh, yeah we ended up with Russell winning the race effectively two times or being on trajectory to to win it two times. Just. Absolutely uh, remarkable. There, there's lots of other little subplots as well beyond this and the, the implications of Perez's win and Russell's performance and how worried Valtteri Bottas is. We should talk about Esteban Ocon, who finished second. This midfield fight, there were there was kind of a split between the one-stoppers and the two-stoppers, wasn't there? Ocon had underachieved a little bit in, in qualifying, didn't make Q3, but that had the advantage that he was the lead driver in that midfield battle who was on mediums only the the two mercs of the top 10 started on on the mediums but it's a good solid drive from from Ocon wasn't it Scott and a good a good breakthrough for him to get that first podium okay there was a little bit of good fortune but he managed to to get past Stroll after the pit stop having attempted to undercut him not quite done it but then passed him in the second DRS zone and just a, a an important box to tick isn't it getting actually what is Renault's best res- results since they've come back yeah and um I uh, I can't I can't profess this to be a tremendous bit of foresight, but I I remember messaging you sort of relatively early, I think, in the first stint, saying um, Ocon looks like he's got a good chance at a podium here because he was obviously he was at the back of that midfield, the leading midfield train at the start, but obviously he was the first one. He he would have been on the mediums, right? When everyone, when the guys, yes, he was the first one yeah, on the so mediums. The guys yep. in front were on the softs, and I was just thinking, you know, if this plays out where you the strategy to be on the mediums and then the hard is several seconds faster by the end of the race. <clears throat> Esteban's actually got a really good chance of getting to the head of this train because obviously Perez has been removed. Um, I did. He's not coming back. There's no way he's coming through the field. Um, and I just thought 
this 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 could work quite well because Esteban's actually he's fair play to him. He has properly chipped away. I I I thought he was going to permanently be at that sort of two three temps off Ricardo level all season. But he he I think I think once he got that um oh I can't use the I probably can't use the word on the podcast I was about to say once he got that uh verbal hiding after the uh, immediately after the race at Monza. Do you remember when he was properly moaning over the radio and he basically got told to shut it um there's been a there's been a shift and 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 he he has actually he's worked really well with the team and he's got quicker and he's got better he's got he he, he's started to rise to the challenge and so this was really nice because he's a driver that i really rate and and i think there have been some really good performances this 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 year from him um and obviously, Ricardo getting those two podiums, Renault's first of the, the this version of the works team, all of that, absolutely deserved from Daniel. Um, wasn't like Esteban hadn't got something he'd earned, but it's just nice to, for him to have a bit of you know a slice of the a slice of the congratulations and, and and the joy. It has been a difficult season. I'm sure this will massively kick him on because he's uh, he's not going to have any have it any easier in the garage next year is he when Ricardo moves on because I can't think of a worse person to to replace Ricardo with than, than Fernando Alonso so yeah this is for, for for many reasons this is really good for for Ocon yeah and we should remember as well that Ocon is Mercedes connected as well he's got that deal with Renault but there's there's an underlying deal as well that that could mean he's a driver who could be considered by Mercedes I guess Russell has further advanced his cause to be ahead of Ocon in that pecking order but such results are important, doubly so with the fact that people are saying, well, maybe Renault could look at a Gasly or someone like that for 2022. So this, this is good for Ocon. And he, had, he did have to work for it because although he was on that correct strategy, still had to pass Stroll. He he attacked courtesy of an undercut, but he still had to make the move. So yeah, he gained a place and, and it turned out to be the second place. I guess the driver who we feel a little bit sorry for in this is Carlos Sainz in the McLaren, who was the, the lead two-stopper, if you like, of, of those um, obviously we're using this sort of one-stopper and two-stopper terminology. It got a bit messier later on, but that those basically the two competing strategies. And so Science ended up from a race that could have yielded third third place or even second, actually, the way things panned out, with fourth place. But just another classy drive from Science, and it's hard to see he could have done anything else with the way it panned out. Yeah, it was a good, standard Science professional drive. Um, faultless, really. Um, he made a little bit of a lock-up as he was attempted to take... Uh, second place from Valtteri early in the race when he was on the soft tyres and Valtteri's on the hard, but fairly innocuous. Um, yeah, just a standard, lovely performance, really. Um, just happened to be on the on the wrong strategy, courtesy of having qualified in the top 10 and having to start on the soft. Um, yeah, yeah, just... He's very, very, very difficult to pinpoint any weakness in Carlos these days. Um, you know, really... I'm really, really looking forward to um, seeing how he and Leclerc operate and compare. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. It's funny, that group, because you ended up with Sainz 4th, Ricardo 5th, Albon 6th, yeah, 7th, and they were just the kind of set of that group on the strategy. Obviously, Kvyat, there's very little you can say about his race, really the same with Ricardo as well. Albon obviously was a bit further up and it just didn't come off for him, but... They were def- their finishing positions were defined really by the the strategies they were on compared to those other midfield group drivers. But good for Kvyat. He reckoned this was his best qualifying of the year. You had a little bit of sympathy for Kvyat a few weeks ago, didn't you, Scott, when you wrote that piece about how nobody seems to care that he's sliding out of F1 and with Yuki Tsunoda making sure he's got the super license points, it's now a, 
a foregone conclusion, it seems, that, that he'll be in the car. But nice for Fiat to at least remind everyone that when everything comes together, he can, he can deliver a good, strong drive. Ahead of Gasly, of course, who ended up uh, in uh, 11th place. But he's he's done that a few times of late. I I haven't seen a weekend quite as complete as this for for a long time though. In terms of just sort of being quick and and, and executing it when he had to. But yeah, I mean, sympathy. I don't know. If, I don't know how much sympathy I have for him. What what I what I just thought was a bit unfortunate and arguably unfair is that probably because we've already said goodbye to him once before. He, you know, he he is a driver who has started more than a hundred races. He has uh, he has represented Red Bull in F one. I think has met pretty much as many times as Max Verstappen has, for 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 example. Um, and don't think anyone started more races for him for the second team, Toro Rosso or or, or AlphaTauri. And you know, what's he got? Three podium finishes as well. That's that's a respectable career. And it's. I think it is. A, I think it's a career that shouldn't be sniffed at. Uh, I'm not saying he should be celebrated, <laughs> and I'm not saying he should have a drive for next year. But I was just thinking, it his exit is going to be arguably the most understated exit from a Red Bull driver in Formula One. I, I think the only person I can think of that people cared less about leaving was Brendan Hartley because he was just such a random person to come back in to come into F1. No one really cared that he was leaving. Kvyat's just had a. I feel like he should have had more of an impression on people than than he has, um, and it is just nice, I think, to see him bowing out of F1 with a reminder of why he was so highly rated by Red Bull in the first place. At least he won't get the Scott Speed send off. That's the the thing he can be uh, he can be happy about. But yeah, a good performance from Kvyat. Gasly did some floor damage in qualifying, which I think led to him being behind. Generally, he has been outperformed by Gasly over the past eighteen months. There's no doubt about that so it's not an outrageous decision but I guess it's not helped by the fact that they still haven't confirmed Sonoda's in the seat but I presume that confirmation is going to come very very shortly but yeah a nice nice seventh place finish ahead of Bottas who ended up fading to eight there wasn't much he could have done about it on the on the, the wrong set of tyres as it were with George Russell in ninth place consolation of fastest lap so I guess if nothing else George Russell has got that point stuck broken and Lando Norris, of course, had a pretty difficult weekend through to 10th. Things didn't go very well for him in qualifying. Sent out, he reckoned, at the, the wrong time. He was right at the front of everyone in that final Q2 one. He had to go so slowly to avoid catching the people who were coming out later. The tyres weren't there. Then he couldn't get a lap in because of traffic at the second attempt. So ended up uh, ended up 15th yeah, ahead of Gasly and Sebastian Vettel. In that battle at the back, Antonio Giovinazzi 13th from Kimi Raikkonen 14th. Raikkonen had a spin on the first lap with Kevin Magnussen 15th. But actually a word from Nicholas Latifi, because he was leading that Class C battle when he had a, an oil leak. A decent decent race drive from him. Very disappointing qualifying again. Struggled and was almost that qualified by Aitken. But Latifi's a pretty safe pair of hands in, in the races, and he would have deserved that, uh, that Class C victory. But I guess Jack Aitken's the real story there. Finished 16th, had the crash. What did you make of what you saw of Aitken on his Grand Prix debut, Mark? That was very respectable, uh, you know, given that he just thrown straight in there. Um, as you say, almost he came close to out qualifying his teammate. Um, you know, not the most celebrated of teammates, but you know, no, no mug. And so he was at a similar level of performance there straight away. Um, didn't look disgraced in Formula One at all. Um, I thought very, very solid uh, debut performance. Yeah, and he had uh, he had Raikkonen beaten in the race before he had that off. He admitted, uh, when I spoke to him after the race, that. He maybe 
was pushing a little bit too hard because he wanted to catch that group of cars in front. But at least he just about got away with it. He was in the wall, but he managed to finish. So tick that box. He said he was pretty happy with it, but obviously that that off disappointed him. He finished sixteenth behind Kevin Magnussen in fifteenth. Magnussen, I think, had his his fairly traditional good start, but gravity is uh, is undefeatable and the Haas isn't a, isn't a great car and also Pietro Fittipaldi finished last and 17th on his stand-in performance for Roman Grosjean of course we know that Fittipaldi will definitely be racing in Abu Dhabi this weekend as well because Grosjean will not be uh will not be fit with his uh, the burns he suffered last weekend Fittipaldi I followed a lot this weekend he I think he did a pretty tidy job Scott he was struggling a bit with braking but worked methodically didn't disgrace himself at all in the race and showed he's a safe pair of hands, didn't he? Yeah, and I think considering he's um, he's not been in a racing car for... Well, I don't think he's been in a race car all year, has he, um, Piet- no, Pietro? No, uh, late uh, February the 22nd, oh, I think. Buriram Asian F3, where he finished third in the last race of the day. I just remember that somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, obviously, um, you're harking back to your days in February where you were... were, were uh, keeping an eye on Asian F3 just for kicks, and you just remember it, I, I assume. Hey, Asian um, F3's been significant in the world of uh, super license points. It has. Is it Nikita Mazepin who it sort of helped to a super license? There you go. See, I anything you can do, I can do better. Um, Fittipaldi, yeah, I thought, did actually a a, a really good job. Um, it just begs the question, though, doesn't it? How good a job have Louis Delatraz have done? Funnily enough, Gunter Steiner was asked about Delatraz again after the race, about the Delatraz issue. He was very, very dismissive about Louis Delatraz after the race. More dismissive even than he had been previously in the weekend. Can I, can I give this a bit more context in case people oh, don't please know what do, we're talking about? Oh, it's, it's incredible. So basically, obviously, uh, Roman's terribly, terrible accident and, and his injury meant that he was, he was ruled out. And as soon as that happened, Haas called upon its uh, reserve driver, Pietro Fittipaldi. Uh, Pietro and Louis Delatraz share that reserve driver duty. Uh, Delatraz was in Bahrain, but he was racing in Formula 2, and Pietro was asked to come out and spend three weeks in the Middle East for two races in Bahrain and one in Abu Dhabi um, because they were worried about having a COVID case out here and because of the way the structure is here, especially getting into Abu Dhabi, Steiner wanted Haas's reserve to be properly on site. So, So Fittipaldi made the sacrifice and committed to to three weeks out in the Middle East without any guarantee whatsoever that you'd do anything other than uh, quarantine, basically, and stand in the garage. Um, and Fittipaldi's done, I think, seven days of testing in the Haas. Uh, Delatraz has done one. That was back in 2018, I think. Pietro did six of his seven days of testing last year, so he knows the car very well, and he's been massively embedded in the team with a mix of simulator duties and uh, on-site work in the background. In other words, Pietro is an incredibly well uh, accomplished and embedded reserve driver. And so Steiner picked him, partly because he was also the nominated reserve for this weekend, which triggered a really, uh, let's call it slightly, let's call it unprofessional response from, from Delatraz, who basically, he, based on how he responded to other uh, announcements that, that followed that, um, he basically was accusing Haas of being disrespectful towards its reserve drivers. And then he started liking a series of anti-Haas tweets, basically, on Twitter, um, to which Steiner said uh, um, he doesn't have to ask anyone permission for who um, he decides to put into to the car, least of all Delatraz. <laughs> um, and i absolutely right, because while uh, Delatraz might be the slightly faster of the two as a junior single-seater driver, um, Fittipaldi is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, more qualified to be... Um, the person you plug into the car at the last minute. 
Yeah, a little bit of an own goal from Della Traz, who's a handy driver with a with a solid record, but hasn't covered himself in uh, in glory there. And of course, Roman Grosjean was on site in uh, in Bahrain this weekend. Well worth having a look at his story. We had on Friday morning a, a, a press conference with him, and he just spoke for six, seven minutes, just talking through those 28 seconds of the crash. Really well worth looking. If you have a look on the, the race.com, and don't forget the hyphen, the headlines, I'm at peace, I'm dying. That's his quote. Grosjean tells full story of the crash. And it's it's well worth a read because it was just absolutely gripping listening to that. But now we have the, the question of, of what next, don't we? We've got the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix this weekend. We don't currently know what Lewis Hamilton's status is, but what we do know from what Toto Wolff has said is that he's not one of these completely asymptomatic cases. So it's a question of, A, can he test negative in time? And B, will he be let into Abu Dhabi? Which, uh, the first, obviously, we don't know. The second isn't a foregone conclusion, even if if uh, A is achieved. But Mark, while we don't want Lewis Hamilton to suffer or anything, it'd be no bad thing to have the chance to see Russell have, a, have another go to see how he builds on it. Because this is such a good weekend. Abu Dhabi's probably a slightly more difficult challenge in a way. It will be. I mean, I wouldn't bet against George um, achieving anything after the display we've just seen this weekend. But yeah, the the, the one struggle he was having in qualifying in um, at, at this circuit was in turn one, um, where you need a you know slower corner with a, a a lot of rotation early in in the corner, and is yeah, I think you did a piece on it. Um, very very nice piece, well worth a look at of how his muscle memory from the Williams was was sort of holding him back a little bit, and he couldn't quite you know just grasp just what the Mercedes was able to do. How how aggressive you could hustle it into that sort of corner without the without the back being wayward. Um, and the last sector of Abu Dhabi is is full of those sort of corners. So. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's nailed that just in the just in the process of doing the race. But if he is still struggling with with that aspect of the car, it will be shown up in that sector if um, if indeed he, he does the race. Yeah, obviously we'll get an idea later this week. Well, we'll know later this week. They'll have to decide exactly what the situation is. Obviously, we know Fittipaldi's in at Haas. Aitken will be in at Williams if Russell is in the Mercedes, but. Hopefully Lewis Hamilton also will be clear of COVID as soon as possible and then we'll see if he, he's allowed into Abu Dhabi. I suspect the authorities will will bend the rules to let him in, even though I'm sure they won't compromise on safety. So it'll have to be done in the right way because there's this air corridor thing set up and there's a mandatory 14-day quarantine once you get there that you have to bypass in order to be there for Formula One. So let's see what happens. But yes, yeah, a significant weekend, but we should just finish just on that fi- final moment. If Sergio Perez doesn't race enough on again beyond the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix next year, at least he's had this day of days. Isn't it? And just seeing his reactions, sitting on the podium, gathering his thoughts like Pierre Gasly, the positive reaction, even George Russell had a, had a good word for him straight after the race. It's just another feel-good story for F1 in this in this difficult, difficult season, isn't it, Mark? To, to see a driver like that who's worked so hard for so long just get something that seemed impossible. Yeah, there's been so many great stories this season. Um, Given its unpromising beginnings, is quite remarkable, really. But um, yeah, this 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 weekend's blown all of them out of the water, hasn't it? And obviously, we also have the um, the addition of a was it the thirteenth driver this year to stand on the podium in in Esteban Ocon as well. So, the thirteen out of twenty full time drivers on the podium that I 
I, I don't know if I've just had to have had the misfortune of living through the hybrid era, which has been totally monopolised by by a few teams. But thirteen different podium finishes just feels outrageous. <laughs> um, and we know how we have five race. Uh, I think we have five race winners as well, don't we? This year, because obviously Perez joins um, Gasly and Verstappen as one-time race winners this year. So it's just mega. Like pe- the the Perez story is a different one to Gasly winning at Monza from a personal and professional point of view, but. It's immensely satisfying to see, and it 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 does help when they're when it's a nice guy getting it as well. Someone that you um you don't sort of mind finding yourself rooting for them every now and again. Yeah, exactly, and it's good to see people get their just reward. George Russell didn't get it this weekend, but Sergio Perez did. So, I guess it, <laughs> what the universe takes away from one, it gives to gives to another worthy cause, so to speak. But I'm sure we'll see George Russell up front in a Grand Prix again, and I very much hope we will see Sergio Perez in Formula One for more than one more race. Thanks very much for your time, Mark Hughes and Scott Mitchell. Do head to therace.com and do not forget that hyphen. Loads to read there. Mark Hughes race analysis, as always, my ever-controversial driver ratings. You can join in the debate there where you can tell me why I'm wrong and I'll attempt to justify why I'm not. Scott Mitchell always has all sorts of unexpected things on the website as well. Check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s and, of course, the Gary Anderson F1 show. And also check out our YouTube channel. Just search for the race some great videos on there well we'll be back next week unless there's lots and lots of news in the in the days in between we did two extra podcasts last time but we'll be back next week to look back at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix (laughs) 